Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 245. Do you know what Isaac Newton said when an apple fell on his head? Oh, this is so unappealing. No, he shook his <laughs> fist at the sky and said, there should be a law about this. <laughs> and thus he made one, huh? <laughs> Hi, Julius. Welcome. Hello, Albert. That was a good one. I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Today, today's uh, game is a game about science and learning and whatnot, so so it's relatively appropriate. it's got appropriate. a giant apple on the front. <laughs> it's got a giant apple on the front. That's right. Today's game is Newton. Not a fig, but an apple. Fig? Fig Newtons. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, there are no fig Newtons involved here. Nope. Shame. Still, I mean, it's okay. True. So if the game is not about fig newtons or apples or harvesting or really anything to do with fruit, what then is the game about, Albert? It is a game about building the best darn library in the, uh, I guess, the age of Renaissance. Wait, is it about building a good library? Uh, them- Thematically, not exactly. Mechanically, I think that's what it amounts to, yes. <laughs> but we'll I, get more I mean- to that later. I think that I've commonly described it just that you are trying to be the most well-recognized scholar as represented by the victory points that you're getting over the course of the game. Yes, yes. And you do that by doing things like traveling around Europe and collecting books and working and building your tree. You can get really rich or you can make scientific discoveries or you can get a library. And I really think you can do... Any of those tactics to be able to play successfully and win, I, you don't necessarily need to do a lot of books. <laughs> you might be able to do that. <laughs> I can't. I see. I, I have, nothing else has worked for me. But anyway, we're jumping ahead, honestly, aren't we? That's I mean, there, there you go. That's a summary about the game. It's a game in, in the great age of discovery and science, and you're playing a scientist doing a lot of different things to, to gain fame and renown and victory points, just like you said. Shall we move on to the rules? Sure, Albert. Um, the rules are pretty straightforward. It's a Euro game. I found the, the setup and everything easy to do. The I didn't find the rules hard to learn or anything like that, though it's a little confusing at first in, in what to do. It's like one of those games where you're not sure where you should be doing things necessarily. Mm. Here's... Here's a couple things that I want to give credit to the rules. And here's one that ties into both rules and components. I've commented before that it's nice and good when tokens that do different things are differently shaped. So for example, there's tokens that go there's tokens that go all over the place in the board. Like when you're setting up the game, you have to shuffle each individual type of tokens. So like there's the circles with the cutouts and there's the regular circles and there's the squares with the cutouts and there's the banners and there's the banners with the cutouts and there's the hexagrams. All of them get shuffled up and are randomized and put on all the different spaces, but they're all very different and very unique and you can't really mix them up in, in between them. Like the best worst you could possibly mix them up would be the circle tokens and the coins. Mm-hmm. Like they're all really unique and kudos because that makes it so easy to set up the game and identify what all these different things are. As you're going through setup, it's it's marked as a two. Two is these things with arrows going directly to it. You know what those things are. So sort everything out by all the same type of shape and then go through and as you're putting it together for something that had this many components and this much stuff to set up, kudos for that. That's a good way yep. of having that design occur. Yep, that, that is a really good point because because there are a lot of pieces to this game and setup is pretty darn quick considering. Maybe. It's, re- it's really, I mean, considering how much there is, it's pretty darn straightforward. True. I played a couple of the games this weekend, one with way fewer components, and it, it was a while to set that up. It was just slow and tedious. And I think this, that's... This is smooth. And I think that's kudos to the fact that it's all well-designed components and unique components Mm -hmm. to the different types of things. Um, The other thing is that the rules basically, the way the game is played is that on your turn, you're going to play one of your basic card or one of your action cards from your hand, 
onto your workbench, and that's going to determine which of the six possible actions you'll do. And each of the cards has printed on their bottom half one of the six icons that go through them. So when you're going through the game, the game rules first tell you what each of those six actions do. And they do it. There's about a half a page dedicated to each on how you do it and the minutia and Mm -hmm. where things can drop off and et cetera, et cetera. That's all very good. I, I appreciate all of that being there. What I would have liked to have seen is maybe a one page or even just a one card summary of what they do very quickly. For example, just say that the work is move your marker forward on the work track, uh, stopping on spaces to get their bonuses and get coins for however many spaces you go. And summarize in one sentence each of those six things. Because if you haven't played this game in a while, you have to go read each of those sections again to remember what they do. And there's no quick reminder. There's no reference. There's no, there's, there's nothing concise about those four refresher. And when you have six different actions with a little bit of technicality to each one of them, it's helpful to have that. And it, mm-hmm. it's just not present here. Yeah, I, I could see that though. I will say that all, all the sections on the board, each card corresponds with a different part in the board, generally speaking. And, there's icons on the board showing you what action triggers it. I mean, it's a little hard to find, and it doesn't give you the details of how to do it, but it, it's all marked and identified, which I thought was very helpful. You just have to be able to find those across the yes. board. If you're not yes. sure what you're looking at in your hand, to think that my first thought is I have to look in the corner of this other board. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's nice to be able to highlight it. And when I'm explaining the rules to other people, I would definitely mm-hmm. point out, hey, yes. look over here, here it is. That helps reinforce it. Yes. But I don't think that helps remind as a reminder of it when you're refreshing your memory on the rules. Yep. I, I agree. I could see that the details of the rules are, are not obvious. And each of the action works differently. So mm-hmm. so that makes a difference. Um, other than that, I think the rules are very good. I think that it explains the rules clearly and concisely. I will say that, especially for us solo players, I was very confused about one specific thing. There were not really any rules for playing solo. And the, the real reason <laughs> no. why there's no rule for playing solo is because there really aren't any rules. You play yeah. solo, you, you, you just play. You just sit down. It doesn't have any changes. Just you, the only spots that go out are the ones that don't have any player count on it. So all the two plus players don't do that on that. You set up everything else the exact same. There's no Tama. There's no there. There's no there's anything. The, no, wait. The, there is a little score chart at the end to tell you how well you did. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is, but that's it. You're right. I mean, I you know I flipped to the end of the book to look for the solar rules, and there's nothing there. It's it's just exactly the same. There's not even like little sidebar text saying if you're doing solo, this is different. Nothing like that, which is nice. It, I will say it confused me. <laughs> I I cannot think another game that is that just kind of out there with the soul. Like just we just have solo. Just just play the game. Yeah. Like I don't need I don't need to tell you anything else about it. I just can't think of anything else that has done that. And I looked for the solo rules, just assuming that there has to be something different about solo. No, nothing. Not yeah, most games would even tell you if you're playing solo, play just like normal, but you know, keep track of but your with score. With two players or with yeah. like Yes. Yeah. It would tell you something, but here they're just like, no, just just play. Mhm. That <laughs> I, that was nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I will say I love it. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we can just do that is pretty nice, but it confuses those of us who have done a lot of solo games because <laughs> not everything treats us as nicely that's right yeah and and we'll get to later the reason this works is because it's basically multiplayer solo true when you're playing right and and very much so there's very little interaction in here or interference well, but we'll get there's to only more. a tiny bit of interference yes. in that you'd lose the bonus tokens but yeah right if somebody gets those first you don't get them but but there's also more on the board so it's not as big a deal correct so anyway so 
speaking of boards and components, right? Maybe maybe we should talk about the components. Well, I think we've already started talking about the components a little, and I sort of yeah. mentioned it between making it easy to learn the rules. But there are a lot of components. There's how many types of tiles? There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight types of tiles. <laughs> or more, yeah. Um, something like that. Because there's the bonus tokens that are circles on the board, specialization tiles, income tiles, medicine tiles, development tiles, the city, university, the objective tiles. There are so many different types of tiles. For the most part, (laughs) all of these tiles are just used to randomize the board. Um, The development tiles, I suppose, are things that they're just a stockpile of them. With that, and the income tiles are also a stop out of them. But without exception, everything else is to randomize the, the board to make it so that you're not interacting with the same board every single time. Mm-hmm. It does different things different times. You may want to go down this strategy or find this bonus token or that you'll grab this one specialization and then that will make this thing easy. And all that stuff is just used to create different variabilities. But because of all those variabilities, there's a lot of tokens. They're generally well illustrated. Generally, all of them, and excuse me, not well well illustrated. They're well icon iconographized. The iconography <laughs> of them is well done because they're all clear enough that I can understand what they mean. Almost all of them. There there are a few exceptions, especially yes. with special effects on cards. Yes. So, but for the most part, yeah. So, so besides the the slew of tokens, there's also three boards. Julius, well, there's three types of boards. Julius mentioned the board, but in fact, there's a map, and there's a technology tree board, and then there's individual player boards, which are mostly the same each. And um, it's worth telling you a little bit about each of the boards. The map is a map of Europe, and you're going to have a, a pawn that could go around the map and travel different locations. As Julius said, there's a lot of counters that are going to be put on the board they're going to be representing different places you could visit and there's different types of places there's universities there's cities a couple others and they each have different shaped tiles that will go in their specific spaces so like julia said to get a different map every time you play um which totally changes the strategy from one game to the next there's also a score tracker on that board the other board is a technology tree and a work board the work board is the very top section that's just a, a path that you could go, a linear path, and you use that to collect money. You could also get a few other things on that, but it's mainly to collect money. And then the bigger part of that board, the bottom two-thirds or three-fourths or something, is a technology tree that you could follow different paths um, to collect other bonuses depending which way you go. And the bonuses, again, are based off tiles that have been randomized at the beginning of the game. So, you know, when once you got it set up, you're going to decide, oh, I really want to go this way because it's giving me that bonus that I could really use, or I want to go the other way and do this. It depends, um, which is really neat. The third boards are the player boards, which are your... They're neat. They're a library on the top and your desk on the bottom. It looks like a desk. And when you're playing, you're going to play cards onto your desk. And later on, you stick cards in your drawers, which is basically sliding them under the desk and stuff. It's very thematic, and it's kind of fun. Um, the top half is a library. You're going to start stacking books into your library as you gain experience by traveling around Europe and stuff and, and other ways and and put books into your library to be able to score points. Th- that's Those are the three boards, right? And those are really the three main spots that you do things. Yes, that's right. And, be, and so be, you said the, comp- the uh, all the counters and stuff. There's tons of those. There's meeples. Everybody's got meeples. There's money and there's potions that you could collect. Those are cardboard counters. What else is there? There's uh, there's still more. There's cards. The cards. <laughs> there's two types. Of, well, there's two types of cards. Let's get the quick one out of the way. The scientists. At the beginning of the game, you're gonna get four scientists. Each player will get four different scientists, and if you can play them, they're gonna give you nice big bonuses that are really useful. You may not be able to get to play all four. You can never play more than four because of the way the game works. Um. And they, they could give you nice bonuses that happen immediately when you play that scientist. And they also can give you 50 points at the end of the game. Um, so those are neat. They're great. The rest of the cards are the cards you used to play actions with. Everybody has a hand of starting cards. I think six or seven. 
Um, each card corresponds to one of the different actions plus a wild. Then there is also a deck of cards, which is uh, sorted by categories, level 1, level 2, and level 3 cards that you could buy. And you're going to shuffle each of those decks separately, and you're going to lay out three of each level each round and change them out each round so that you have new ones. Um, and that's pretty much, I think that's all the components. Um, I think so. Yeah, we don't want to get into the detail of all the types of tokens and tiles that there are, but there's a well, lot. I think we've generally referred to all of them. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to mention is about the master cards. They're not all just bland, you know, victory points and things like that. They actually have um, different scientists um, across that historical era. I'm not quite sure which era is necessarily if they're all in the same era, but they, I think they spend about 150 years total, more or less. Mm-hmm. Though the BGG promo does have a more modern scientist in it. Ah, interesting. Um, why can I not remember who it is? Oh, that, this is relevant. Hang on a second. Oh, yeah. So so you could get a promo that actually has a Stephen Hawking. So, <laughs> so he's a little more modern than the rest, like you know, by 150 okay. years. But the, the rest all spanned. 850 years. I didn't necessarily think there was any specific historical tie between the effect of a particular master and their own personal history. I, I yeah. don't think there was. It doesn't seem to, to matter. I was hoping it would. I thought that'd be neat, but the yeah. math scientists may potentially like move you around the board or astronomers may let you put a book in the library or something, you know? Well, so, yeah. so it's not, the, it doesn't tie it thematically into that character. Which felt, I, I mean, <laughs> I suppose there's a veneer over that about what is going on with the masters and what's going on with, and how that works. Uh, I, I'm not <laughs> sure if I would have preferred to not have had the actual historical references in there or not. I don't know. I like it. And I like the the pictures. I, th- I like the style of the drawings of the different scientists. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad they're real people, even if the effects are not thematic. I mean, it just felt like they pulled real names out of a grab bag and put them on cards and be like, Oh, here you go. We, we referenced someone check Mark for the reference. <laughs> I, I imagine it'd be really hard though, to, to make a thematic because the game is abstract enough. No, I'm, no, I'm glad they did it. I, okay. I think it's a fair compromise. <laughs> I'm happy with it. So yeah, um, that's all the components. There's a ton of them. Just, just a ton of them. Uh, and even then setup is not that bad. Um, like I said earlier, I find it really quick. I have like, for example, a bag for each of the players stuff. So, that, yes. you know, if, if it's one or two players, I just pass out one or two bags. Um, I have a bag for all the different types of tokens too. And they're all labeled. So I have, I have two bags for tokens, one's for the map board and one for the technology tree. Hmm. And that just about works really well. There, there's a couple tokens that are on both boards, but not many. Right. And I just keep them in one of the bags and not the other. Oh. Um, and that makes it easy enough to set up because I just start grabbing stuff out of the bag and putting it on the board without looking at what I'm grabbing. Yeah, I, I don't quite yeah. do it that way. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Yep. Yep, yep. So components. the And all these components fit into your typical, like, a, say, Agricola size box, right? Like a standard 9 by 12-ish, whatever size that is. What is it, 2 inches thick maybe? Yeah, so it's it's a lot of stuff in a box, and there's still room for more. <laughs> uh okay. Should we talk about gameplay, Julius? Sure, Albert. Uh sort of. So this game, the way it works is you're gonna play cards from your hand. It's over a number of rounds. You're gonna have six rounds, and each turn you're playing five cards to your desk. Each time you play a card. You take an action. If there's multiple players, you're going to alternate the actions. So you'll take the first card from your hand that you want to play, and you place it on your desk. And it's going to have, like Julia said earlier, on the bottom it's going to have an icon. It could be a gear, a book, a little compass rose, different things which represent different actions you could take. The way you use it is you're going to, the card you play determines what you can do this turn. And also you count how many tokens you have Counting what's on the card plus whatever's on your board 
or you have tucked away under the board from an earlier round, which we'll get to later. You count how many you have, and that's how powerful your action is this turn. So what that means is if I play a compass rose to move on the map, I can now move one space. If I play a second compass rose later during the round, I now have two. I could again move on the map. This time I can move two spaces. If I played a third one, that third time I can move three spaces. So it builds up. And you could get extra cards tucked away on your desk or under your desk to just make it more powerful from the get-go. Plus, plus each desk has one printed, and they're all four different. There's a compass rose and a gear, work, and something else. So everybody starts with a more powerful version. Um, there's also a wild that when you play it, it could represent any of, the, any of the actions. So that's what you can do in your turn. You can choose which action you want to take. You're going to play the card and then do that. The cards also have a top half. When you play that card to your desk, some of them give you an immediate bonus, like maybe it gives you a, a money, a gold, and some have books on them, which are useful for building up your bookshelf later. Required for building up your bookshelf. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, you can build it up pretty well, but not get any points if you leave those out. <laughs> but not, no point in that. But so, so yeah. So maybe we should now talk about the different action types. I think there's six of them. Mm-hmm. Right, the first one is you could work, or not in a first and just whatever order I'm coming up with them off the top of my head. Work. <laughs> it might be easier if you go in the order that the rules have it. Oh, I'm not looking at the rules. Oh, okay. Well, work is the first one. Aha! See, <laughs> so work. You move on the work track. You just advance. It's a linear path. The number of spaces you move, which is based on how many little work icons you played, is how much gold you collect. It, so the more you do it in a turn, the the bigger amount of money you could get. Right, like if you did it over three turns, mm-hmm. each time you would get one money. If you did it three in the same turn, you get one plus two plus three money that that round. So you get six money. So much more powerful. The that track has a few spaces that you could stop on. If you land on them exactly, you get a bonus based on a tile. So that's randomized at the beginning of the game. The and the bonuses could help you different ways. Um, potentially, nothing comes to mind. Potentially, do stuff. Get points, get coins, get masters, get potions, all sorts of things. And those bonuses are going to translate over to all the other tracks, all the tracks of spots where you can stop and land on it and get a bonus of some sort or the other. You don't have to stop and land on it even. You can choose to end your movement early on any of these tracks and get that bonus. That's right. You have to land on it to get it, but you you could choose not to do your full movement so, so you can land on it. So that's the work track. Who's next? Is next the, the technology, technology track. tree? Okay. So in this one, you have a little student that is a little people that's moving up on the track, and it's a branching, forking track. You could choose where to go to. Um, I think it's about and, six or seven endpoints. As you go, different locations are going to have small round circles. That if you pass one of those, you pick it up and get a bonus from it. it could be a gold or some points or whatever. There's other locations you could visit, again, like on that uh, work path that will give you bigger bonuses. There's also at the some of the endpoints, if you reach those, those could give you points at the end of the game based on different criteria, which is, again, randomized when you set up the game. It could be two points per potion or points for books that you have or points for things on your library, et cetera, et cetera. It just varies. You're going to have one worker at the start, one student to move on the technology tree, but you could buy more during the game to mm-hmm. do more stuff on there. There is also, and I didn't mention it before, on the worker path, there is the the master diploma scientist space. I don't know what it's called. And it's also in the technology tree. If you land on those spaces, you get to play one of your scientists immediately and do whatever effect it has. Just neat. Uh, so how about the travel the travel the map that's probably the most fun one i think when you travel (laughs) on the map right it's a big map of europe and you can go to different locations you know we said at the beginning again you randomize a map and you can visit different locations there's some of those little bonus counters so if you pass one and pick it up you'll get that bonus if the other spaces you land on them you get their bonuses and generally you're going to put a cube on the space and some give you bonuses and some you just mark that you've been there the ones that you're just marking that you've been there, there's there's cities and I think universities. Those are your marking because that then lets you put a book on the bookshelf that you collected there, I guess. 
The other ones are bonuses that you're going to get that'll give you the benefits. Maybe a free student at the, at the technology tree or some points, or you could become a doctor and start getting points every round from that. A variety of stuff. And again, it's just fun to travel around Europe. And again, this has a space where you could visit to, if you could get there, to get a new uh, scientist out. It's really so funny that you say this is your favorite space because I kind of feel like this may highlight our personal preferences for things Mm -hmm. that your favorite space is to travel around Europe and go see all the different places. My favorite space is, is going to be the study one where you're building up a bookshelf and a library meticulously organizing them all and putting them in rows and this way and that. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. that's going to be my favorite. Okay. But you can't do that without visiting Europe. Right. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying what my favorite is. Oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. So that that was what the fourth type of action. Uh, well, it's the third. Third. But who's third. who's counting? Well, Lessons are the next. Lessons. Lessons Taking is cards. yes. So we mentioned that you can have cards available to buy each turn. If you take a lesson, you, you play the little card that has a book picture on it. That lets you draw a book from the the ones row. The second time you do it in the round, you can now draw from the one row or the two row. And these books that you're going to collect, just like the ones you already have, have action icons on them. So you could have more of that action. And also will give you better bonuses on the top half of the card. I will um, say it is very important to make sure that you are taking cards yes. throughout the course of the <laughs> game. Because you are going to be permanently adding cards to your workbench every round. If you are not taking cards, you're going to find that your hand is left very wanting. So, for example, and this has happened not never to me, of course, <laughs> uh, but for example, um, you may decide, hey, I am going to have the most powerful workbench at studying. I'm going to tuck like three cards under study so that every time I'm taking a level three uh, action with it, you'll quickly find you then don't have any cards left in your hand to capitalize on that. <laughs> so it's important to take cards. Yep. You, you put all your study cards on there. Now you have no study cards. Well, that's, <laughs> that's not so good. The other thing is, right, you start with seven cards. At the end of each round, you tuck one of them underneath and you're playing, or maybe you start with six. I don't remember the exact number. I think six. And then you're tucking one underneath. So the second round, you only have five cards and five actions to take. Great. If you if you don't buy any cards at third round, you now have four cards and five actions. So you're going to be missing out, which you know, is not going to help your game any. Uh, fortunately, you can use a card the turn you buy it, which is nice. Um, it let it lets you chain up some during the round. I'm sorry. Yeah, you could you could chain up some of those cards from in one round. Um, so those those are the books. My least favorite, but they are important. The, you the, mean the cards. The card, yes, the, the card collecting. It's a the icon is a picture of a book. That's why I call it the book. No, it's, no, not. it's not. It's a hat. It's a, it's it's a, a hat. A graduation hat. You're right. It books should a, be a book. Books is a picture of a book. You're putting out books. That's right. And so that's the next action. The books. Right. This is where you you put books in your library. You start the game with twelve books on the side of your board, just to the left of your desk. Um, if you take a book action, you could take one of those books and put it on the top half somewhere in the library and the bookshelves. Where you could put it depends. Um, if you've only played one book so far this round, you could only use the top row. If you've played two, you could do the top or middle. If you've done three, you could do any of the rows. The other restriction is the books, the spaces have pictures. It might have a picture of, say, uh, some books in it, and they could either be green, blue, or yellow. So if the space shows two blue books, you have to have cards on your tableau with blue books two of them at least or you cannot play something there so so in that sort of scenario you need to play cards from your hand first couple turns that have blue books and then a third turn you could play a card to add the blue books to your bookshelf the other type of spaces are not books but they are locations on the map that you visited if you have a cube on the location because you already visited it earlier you can go ahead and put that book on the in that space on your bookshelf now, when you're taking the books from the space on the side, there's four stacks of three. You start from the top and work your way down. As you uncover each uh, section, as you remove a stack of three total, there's a picture of something underneath. You're going to get that bonus. The first time you get a potion, 
The second time you get something better. I don't remember what that is. The third time you uncover a scientist. And I think the fourth time you get a bunch of victory points. So if you manage to use all your 12 books, that, that's pretty nice. Um, What else is there about the books? The way the... I think that's it. No, there is something important. The victory points. Oh, income. Yeah. The reason you want to build these books is because... If you finish a whole column or a whole row of books on the bookshelf, and it's basically it's rectangular section, um, so there's rows and columns you can complete. If you have one completed, at the end of the round, you're going to get victory points for each of those rows and columns that are completed. So if you could do that early on in the game and get some of these filled up already, you can start collecting points every round for the rest of the game, which is nice. Hard, hard, hard to do, but nice. Um... When those are all the actions upset the Joker, which I already mentioned the Joker, he can represent any of the other actions. If you already played a card of something, you can now play the Joker and use him as a second time. But he only he only does it right that moment. Once you've had it played, or if yes. you tuck it under your desk, it doesn't count for any bonuses for any other actions. Yeah, then it's just a silly hat and it doesn't do any good. Yep. So... So I think we explained everything in the game mechanically. It sounds straightforward enough, right? Play cards from your hand, take action. Yep. Complete a round. When you complete the round, Julia's already mentioned this, though. Say it again. It's worth saying. You're going to take one of those cards that you played this round and tuck it under your desk on the next spot. There's five spots under your desk. Um, Once you have filled your desk completely, well, you're going to tuck those under, draw the rest of the cards into your hand, and play another round again, playing five cards to your desk. When you finish that round, take one of those cards, tuck it under your desk, and pull the rest in your hand again and do the next round. Once you have completely filled under your desk all five spaces, you have one more round to play the game. So effectively, you get 30, 30 actions in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. And that's that's basically the game. Try Do all that stuff and gather as many victory points while you can. Shall we talk about some things we liked, didn't like, and thoughts about it? Sure. Let's do that. So one thing that I I do like about this type of game, and you see it in some other types of games that are good about that, it's very easy to tell which turn you're on and which round you're on. Cards are not played to a discard pile or any other method like that. It's very easy to keep track of where you are in the round based on the number of cards that are being played out to your desk. And it's very easy to tell which round you're on based on the number of cards that are tucked under. I've seen many other games where at the end of the round, you're supposed to advance the round track. And I so often leave myself wondering, did I advance the round track? Mm-hmm. You never have that question with this game because there's an integral mechanical thing that happens and that is trackable whenever the round advances. I like that very much. Yes. I, yes. I, I like the interplay of the decision point. One of my favorite things about the way the cards work is that you're playing them out and they build on each other. So there's these chains that you're working towards and saying, if I do this action here, and then I can tie it together with a stronger action to be able to do this, and all the different actions integrate with each other. You'll need money from working to run around the map. You'll need the map to be able to build out your bookshelf, but you'll need books from cards to also be able to build out the bookshelf. So, and then the technology also ties into it that you'll want to proceed on that to enhance your other actions and give yourself end game points. It all flows together. So you're wanting to do everything. You kind of <laughs> want to do everything. I don't necessarily know if you need to, I've played games. You can I've sort of <laughs> tried to specialize in one thing or the other. For example, I've played games where I've not touched the bookshelf. I've played games where I've tried not to, where I've only a little touched the work track games where I've really not touched the technology track. And I think all of those are viable methods of being able to compete in addition to doing just a little smattering of each of them. I think that if you're doing a smattering of each of them, you'll want to make sure that you're getting some of them a little bit higher up for like end game things or just like know what you're doing. But there's lots of different sort of strategies and ideas. But I've gone far afield from what I was originally trying to say. One of those decision points that I really like is the point in time when you have to tuck one of your cards underneath your desk for next round. Because on the one hand, it powers up your other actions. As I said before, if you're wanting to do a whole bunch of travel around the board, 
you may feel like, oh, I'm going to put a travel card into here, but really you're going to be able to travel maybe less because you're not actually going to be traveling that round. If you wouldn't have tucked it under, you -hmm. would be able to travel and net three times once when you play the first time and then twice when you play the second one. But now if you tuck it, really you're only traveling a net of two times. Granted, it's two times over one action instead of three times over two. But, you know, (laughs) sometimes that's not necessarily to your advantage or not. And there's a lot of push and pull on that card play and just that one point of what am I going to do next round for what do I want to put? underneath the card Mm -hmm. it feels like it's such a quick throwaway thing and when i've played multiplayer i spend a lot less time thinking about that decision i like the fact that in solo i can sit there and really take (laughs) the time to think my whole next round what am i going to play what am i going to want and therefore what am i going to tuck Yep. It feels like a huge decision for such a small little point. And I think that brings home the idea of this game about the car play being so dynamic about how you're taking actions. Yep. And the whole tucking thing, it, it gets you more complicated, right? Because you're going to say, well, I really want to tuck a gear because I want to make my gear actions more powerful when I take them in the future. But the gear card that I want to tuck also has all the green books that I really need. <laughs> so I don't want to tuck the I don't want to tuck that card. So now I gotta tuck a different card, but I don't want to tuck that other <laughs> you just go around back and forth trying to figure out the right thing. So yeah, I agree with that in that, Julius. I think that whole tucking thing is pretty pretty darn neat. Yeah. Another comment is that as you mentioned before, this is very multiplayer solitaire. The only person that can be blocked by your actions is yourself. You're not allowed to have, for example, two students on objectives on the technology track. You can't have them go there. You can't double up on a spot. But if your student is there, there is nothing preventing someone else from going there. There is nothing preventing someone from following you around on the map and going to the exact same spaces as you. The only times that maybe there's some interaction is going to be one in taking a particularly juicy card from the lessons track or two taking bonuses. So there's a little bit of incentive to do something that someone else isn't because otherwise they're going to take all the bonus tokens. And I'm not sure how major that is because the bonus tokens, it's like two coins or two points or a potion. Like they're not, too big a deal if you do want to follow but it's a little bit of an incentive to try and do something different now when you're playing larger player counts as albert mentioned there's more bonus tokens out so you're not concerned that you're going to miss out on something between higher player counts and lower player counts that incentive sort of isn't there when you're playing solo when you're playing solo there's no incentive not to play the game the same as you always play the game because there's not an automa. There's not anything pushing him to do that. Now, for me, that's not at all an issue because I like, I, you know, I play the games to do different strategies and try different things and have fun mm-hmm. playing with it or wherever, wherever my life may wander and roam. Um, so it's not really so much an issue for me, but it is something to make mention. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, you know, there's two things I really like about this game. One is how fast the solo game is. It is super quick because, you know, it's 30 actions, but the, each action is really quick. You know, you you play the card and then you move the work of the right number of space, maybe collect some money or place a cube, something like that, and you're, and you're done. So each action is really, really fast. Um, you can spend a lot of time thinking about which actions you want to do and which uh-huh. order you want to do them during the round. You could definitely go down a rabbit hole there and spend hours I mean, the game is almost perfect information other than the uh, the deck of uh, cards you could buy. Right. You don't know what you're going to buy before you start making that decision about right. what to talk. Because th- those are discarded every round and new ones are drawn. But the rest of the game, you know exactly what's there. And you could plan all that out as far ahead as you wanted to, I think. And um, I, I mean, 
Uh, you say it's really fast to take your turns. It's very fast to take your turn, but again, when we're playing solo, we get to that point in time we're going to talk. I sit there, I'm like, all right, one, two, three. Wait, let me swap three and two mm-hmm. and maybe slot this one. And, and I go on and plot it all out. So between rounds takes me, it feels like forever. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to play with me when I'm playing. <laughs> I don't do it when I'm playing multiplayer because it's a giant pain. But when I'm playing solo, I take forever during rounds and then turns is like, all right, boop, 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 next round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is true. The it, it definitely goes quick during the round. It's that in-between round, I think, that, or the setup to that next round where you spend the most time thinking. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I find really fun is playing those scientist cards because they let you... It's because you're a history buff. Well, no. They're so not historical, really. <laughs> they let you chain your actions sometimes and in really fun ways. Like one, of, Some of them may give you, for example, a bunch of moves, and if you play your scientists at the right time, suddenly you could do moves on the map with your your pawn and actually unlock your second scientist and do something with him and potentially unlock a third scientist. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, that is just really satisfying. Oh. Just just getting to do those bonus actions with the scientists because they're they're almost like taking a free turn if it's the right scientist. And I just found those just fun. <laughs> just plain fun. And the, the the last thing I want to mention that I really, really like is the variability in the setup. I love games with variable setup, and this has so much of it because every time you play, the locations are different. You're going to randomize all the locations in the technology tree. So which path you take the technology tree is totally different from game to game. And which locations you want to visit on the map are totally different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you say, oh, I really want to work on my left half of the bookshelf because all these locations in the map are close together. And other times they're all spread out. So you don't want to do that. You want to think of a different strategy. Or the victory point locations at the top that, that come out because they're not going to be the same. There's more of those little tiles then there are actually spaces to put them on so you don't know what's worth points at the end necessarily i can't tell i'm not sure how much of that is really affecting how i play i'm just i'm not sure because i i understand that it's all different if i wanted and i felt like hey i believe that bookshelves are the way to do it and you should focus on bookshelves early and do all you can bookshelves round one and two, and then go to technology tracks round three and four or something or four and five. Who knows? Um, But if I felt like that was the strategy, I'm not sure that the variability between those different tiles would necessarily push it away from that, but it's definitely nice playing the game. Perhaps the way I play the game, having everything be different. I like it and it feels different. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I, I like thinking about how, what to do based on where everything is at, because it, it does change what strategy I want to take somewhat. So yeah, so those are the things I really like about the game. Very nice. Is there that anything is you don't like about? There's the game? a couple things, but nothing major. One is the table space. It takes a lot of table space. Although I do appreciate that the two boards are separate for that purpose, yes. because if you want, you can line them up next to each other for your table or up and down based on however you want to lay it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you could you could change it up. You know, you can make it wide, you can make it tall and face different directions. You have one board face left and one face right. And then anybody playing can see something. So, yeah, so I, I do like that. It's, but either way, it's, it's just a lot of space, whether it's one or more players because of those two boards. The... The other thing I dislike, and to me, I, I mentioned this earlier, it seems like really there's really one great strategy, and that's always to work on the bookshelf. That, from what I can see, gets you more points. If you if you build out your entire bookshelf, you could hit 100 points without a problem. And I cannot see getting that many points from the technology trees and other stuff. If you say so. Yeah. Maybe I just, maybe I'm bad at it, and I, I just can't see the Have other Have you gotten 100 points off a bookshelf? Mm-hmm. I've gotten from the I've gotten hundred points at the end of the game by focusing on the bookshelf. But when I try any mm. other strategy, I can't get anywhere near there. Maybe seventy or eighty, but definitely not nowhere near hundred. Could be you're doing better than I am. <laughs> okay, see uh, bookshelves if you can focus on them and really do that, but it doesn't work every time. Some of that is also luck. If I have the right cards, 
um, there's a couple of scientists that let me place uh, tiles on the map for the, you know, on, I'm sorry, on the bookshelf, putting books on the bookshelves and uh-huh. disregard the requirements of to place it. So that would help some. And there's also a couple cards that you could buy that will help with that. And if, and if you get these things, it, it makes it easier. So some of it is luck. But again, I, I just don't see it possible to, to for example, advance all the technology tree to get all those victory point spaces and do all the stuff that's required for them. I don't know. I haven't been able to do it. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just too focused on the on some of the stuff and just not playing optimally. I don't know. I'm not sure. I I haven't seen a particularly higher score between one to the other. But maybe that's for some other people who have mastered the game more than me. I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you what. My son always goes for the bookshelves, and he usually beats me. I will try different strategies, and I don't win that often. <laughs> so me, I don't know. Either way, though, like I said, I, I dislike that about it, but it's still fun no matter what. I still have fun making the choices every single round and trying to decide which way I want to go and what I want to do that turn and and what makes sense and the discovery that comes from the game because I think going back again to because of that random setup, each game is so different in the setup and it's not a huge difference. That's hugely impactful, but it makes me want to try different things. I just find that immensely fun. Albert, I think we've discovered about all that there is to discover about the game. No, no, we haven't. There's more. Oh, is there? And what's the, what is this more? Are you maybe referring to a new expansion? There's, there's two expansions for it. So, well, so this is interesting. They're not necessarily new. The The expansion came out in 2019. It's a little promo expansion. But the game went out of publishing. And so it became hard to find. And then late last year, it got republished again. But now it brings the expansion in it. So it's no longer an expansion, just a couple modules. Um, so it's worth mentioning them. Because if you're going to get a new copy, you're going to get all of it. The I don't know that it brings the two promos. The scientist that I mentioned, uh, it's Robert Hook and Stephen Hawking, but everything else will be in there. So with the two expansion, the expansion is called Great Discoveries, and there's two modules. Uh, one of them, I don't remember what they're called exactly. One of them gives you new cards that you could use in the game, the cards that you're buying t- into your hand. And there are more. there's more variability in those. Some, for example, might have two icons in the bottom, so you may get a card that has two gears. Mm-hmm. So you can move up the tree twice in one one action. And those are called the advanced lessons. Yes, advanced lessons. Okay. And and so those are pretty neat. The tops, there's also something that's a little different. I don't like so much how those work, but these cards, if you play, if you get one of these specific ones, the top half of it, instead of giving you a bonus that you get when you play, gives you a bonus if you tuck it under your desk. Uh, but that bonus only kicks in if you play the corresponding type of card in the same space in subsequent rounds. So it's kind of hard to get it if you don't if you don't uh, time it correctly, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I just like that about it. But uh, you know they do give they do have nice powerful bonuses, which is which is neat. The the cards are just you know they're just neat. They're more more cards, more variety in how you play. And the second part of it is the great discoveries. The great discovery tiles. So the there's a set of tiles. You're gonna set them up at the beginning of the game based on the number of players. And they're all phased up, and they give you... You have to buy these tiles. Anytime during your turn, you could buy a tile if you have enough money. The cost varies depending on how powerful it is. These great discoveries, when you buy them, will give you an immediate benefit. Um, it could be something like you might get a potion, and you now have a permanent book on your book that you could use towards your bookshelf. So, so if I get the great discovery that has a green book, I could now build on my bookshelf any the tile that has one green book, or if I play a green book card to my desk, I now have two green books, the one in the tile and the one in the card I just played, making so I could, you know, build a, put the book in the two book space on my bookshelf. So that's handy. The other part of it, the bottom half of the tile, will give you victory points if you flip that tile over to stop gaining any benefit from it. Um, and so the bo- the bonuses are things like, you'll get a bonus for every book you haven't placed on your bookshelf yet. So the sooner you use it, the better it is. But if you, but once you use it, you stop getting the ongoing turn-to-round-to-round turn, bonus. So that is really neat and really interesting, and, and I find them fun. You know, you have to buy them, so you, you want to plan for which one you want to get, which one helps you. Once you have it, 
you got to decide when, how long you're going to keep getting its bonus and when do you give it up for victory points. And, and you know, just adds fun to the game for me. Now, the one thing I dislike about the expansion, this would not be an issue for a new owner, but for somebody that has the older version like you and I, Julius, the cards are not the same size exactly. They're slightly different, a millimeter or two different. So they're hard to shuffle, which always drives me crazy when that happens. I could understand if you have trouble with the printing of uh, and the colors of our card, but it should be easy enough to get the same exact size when you create the You'd card. think so, but it's really not. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess not, because it happens often enough. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't played with these, and I don't feel particularly motivated to even go get them. They're hard. I found it online, and I ordered it, but I think it's really hard to find now. Unless you buy the newer version of the game, in which, like I said, in that case, you'll get it automatically. But they do add to the game. I think they're worth it if you can get them. So now, have we expounded enough on uh, this game, Julius? Well, I think we've now, having discussed the great discoveries, now I think we've discovered everything there is to discover. Okay, and let's close the book on this chapter. <laughs> Lovely, Albert. <laughs> yeah, I got one. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.